James chapter 1, uh, verse 2 to 18. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to this reading from his own holy word. How biblically healthy is our faith when tested in the furnace of affliction? That's a question that uh, Bill Dyer asks in the preface to a book uh, by Ian Rees called Faith in the Furnace, which I managed to read whilst away on holiday. He follows it up with another question. He says, have Western Christians come to expect largely trouble-free lives? And have we imbibed more of a health and wealth mindset than we realise? What he's getting at is that we will only know the health and strength of our faith when it's tested by affliction. And he uses the metaphor of a, a gecko in the kettle to uh, describe the danger of prosperity. Uh, geckos get everywhere, but um, if they were to jump into um, a pan of boiling water by mistake, they would jump out pretty quickly. They're not stupid in that sense. But uh, if they managed to find their way into a pan of cold water and it was put on the stove and slowly heated up, they wouldn't realise that uh, they were gradually going to be boiled alive. And it's like that with us in the comfortable Western society in which we are living, which says, make sure you have all you need for your enjoyment, for your health, for your security. 
whatever you do, avoid danger, avoid illness, and avoid failure and poverty. Now, we may say as Christians, if we are Christians here this evening, that we go along with that. But we may not realise just how much we've bought into the world's way of thinking until we face losing it or we come across those living with very different values. And so it's quite a humbling experience we face in Romania, Romania with those who did have very little and yet were very generous with it. This is a picture here of the uh, area in which um, uh, our family was staying. We all slept in, in one room. Um, but the family who normally lived there gave that up for us so that they could um, go and stay with somebody else, even even more cramped conditions. Another challenging book I read on holiday was the one um, uh, by Laszlo um, Tokes, or Tokes, however you pronounce it in Romanian. Uh, the man credited with sparking the Romanian Revolution in 1989, a Romanian pastor. So this was someone who knew that if he took certain decisions under the communist government at the time, uh, he would face the consequences of that. And yet he was prepared to do that, um, knowing full well what might lie ahead. He was committed to following Christ, whatever. Now, we might not be in a position where we might get carted off to, to prison tomorrow if we're taking a stand for the gospel. But how do we respond to setbacks, disappointments, delays that we encounter in our everyday lives. Because they're things that we will all experience living in a fallen world. As Peter writes in one of his letters, he writes, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. We may not experience trials continually, but at some point we will all know what it means to suffer The Bible doesn't tell us, as some would have us believe, that if we are Christians, God will somehow protect us from from every pain. We will experience afflictions, and we will experience for a a reason that we will see this evening as we look at um, this passage from James. I thought it would be useful this evening to uh, have a look again at our verse for the year before we start the new sermon programme, see if there's some fresh inspiration to be had from it. Um, It's on the banner here. Um, but I'm sure by now it's etched in your minds and your hearts. But if you need to refer to it, please do. These three commands, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer, describe how we should respond when bad things happen to us. And in many ways they're quite surprising commands. So we're going to look at each one of those three in turn, but using James, that passage from James. Be joyful in hope. What are the typical human responses that we come across to affliction? There's the response of fighting. I won't let this beat me. I'm going to fight it to the end. It's not going to affect my life. That's a typical response from some of the athletes we've been uh, watching this past couple of weeks in the uh, Paralympic Games such as Martine Wright here, somebody who lost her legs in the events of July 7, and somebody who is determined to not let that uh, tragedy for her ruin her life. She was going to make something of it, so she took up sitting volleyball and represented GB last week. Response of fighting. Well, there's response of anger. 
What did I do to deserve this? I'm innocent. Or the response of despair. I can't cope with this. It's just too much for me. Well, James's attitude is quite different to, to trials. He says here, have a look at James 1 verse 3. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, why on earth would he consider it joy? I mean, surely that's the last thing you're going to consider sufferings. Well, the key is in the description of these difficult circumstances as trials. Now, the reason James calls them that is because they, they try you, they test you. And what they test is your faith. It's like a practical examination, if you like. You've learned all the theory. You know that God is sovereign. You know that he's in control of the world he's made. You know that he cares for you in all the different situations. You know that he loves you. But now, when you're facing a difficult situation, it may be the death of someone dear to you. And maybe you're facing financial loss. Maybe you're facing serious illness. Maybe unjust accusations. In all these situations, do you still then believe in all those things that we are taught about God? Job was somebody who was described as a blameless and upright man, somebody who feared God. But how would he respond when everything was stripped away? Would he still fear God? Would he still be able to say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away? May the name of the Lord be praised, because that is what he said. But as the weeks went by, would he still continue to say that? An outward trial is inwardly a source of temptation. It's a temptation to lose your faith in God. And it's a process that James describes. Have a look further on in that uh, chapter there in James, in verse 14. A, a process which, um, in which we're dragged away by our evil desires. We're enticed. It leads to sin, because if we lose our faith in God as a, as a loving, as a good God, then we won't want to serve him. We won't want to obey him. We'll go back to living the life we used to live living the life our own way. And the end result of that, as it says here, is death. Which begs the question, if the trial is so serious, how can we consider it pure joy? Well, the answer comes in that verse for the year. Be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. Hope implies that there's something better to look forward to. For most people going through tough times, all that they can really look forward to that is better, all they can think of is that their suffering, their trials will come to an end and sooner rather than later. But the hope that is referred to in the Bible is different. Have a look back at um, verse 2 there and how it carries on. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's ultimate goal for us as Christians is to be mature in Christ. He doesn't just save us and then leave us and and later on when we die, then perfect us before we come into his presence. Our whole lives are a process of maturing, of becoming like Christ. And that is our hope. 
that we become like Christ. That is what drives us in our everyday lives. And opportunities to become like him, we should rejoice in. To be joyful in hope is not to focus on the current suffering. It's to focus on how our character may change as a result of that. It's a bit like fitness training, if you're into that. What do you focus on when you're going through fitness training? Do you focus on your aching limbs, the sore muscles, or the fact that actually, if you go through all this, at the end of it, you will feel better, you'll uh, feel stronger and fitter when you next um, enter a competition or, or whatever you do, or just in daily life. For the Christian, to go through the trials of life is to undergo training. And the joy is what we will be like when we've gone through them. That is what kept Paul and Silas going in Philippi. Do you remember what happened to them? They were unfairly arrested. They were um, ordered by the magistrates to be flogged, thrown into prison. And what do they do in that situation? Complain about their unfair treatment? It's probably what they would have done if they'd been British, isn't it? No, despite the chains, despite the severe pain they were in, We're told they prayed and they sang to God. They rejoiced that they'd been considered worthy of suffering for Christ. They rejoiced that they were becoming more like him. I know some of you will be going through trials at the moment or may be anxious about what lies ahead. And hopefully this short command will help you to focus not on the pain, the worry, but to focus on Christ, on the, the joy of becoming more like him. Of course, for some, they won't actually get through their trials. It will lead to, to their death in some cases. But in that case, the ultimate hope for all of us as Christians is going home to be with the Lord, isn't it? That is the glory that awaits the believer who will receive, as it says here, the crown of life. But before we get to that point, as we think of our ongoing lives, in what way do trials and afflictions make us more like Christ? Well, the answer comes in the next uh, command. Be patient in affliction. Be patient in affliction. I don't know how many of you would describe yourselves as patient. Probably not many of us, if we're, we're honest. It's another one of those things which are living in the society we do, we're particularly prone to because everything goes faster and faster, doesn't it? We want faster transport, faster access to our bank accounts, faster internet speeds. Impatience is part of our sinful nature. It was there from when we were born. You've got children, grandchildren, you'll know what it's like when a baby can't get its milk. It does the only thing it can. It cries. It it wants it now. And it carries on through life, doesn't it? Children want the latest uh, toy, the latest game. They can't wait until their birthday or Christmas or when they've saved up enough money. They want it now. And part of our, our growing up is learning. Part of our instructing our children is learning that we need to be patient. We don't get everything when we want it. But why is impatience so bad? Well, Impatience demonstrates a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith in the wisdom of God. It's a lack of faith in God's timing, in the goodness of God. The particular patience that is mentioned here 
in Romans 12 is patience in affliction. And one of the favourite questions of the psalmist is, how long, O God? How long? How long do I have to put up with this? This pain, this injustice? And particularly when I've done nothing wrong, particularly when I've just tried to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, how long do I have to put up with this pain? Remember the story of Joseph in, uh, in Genesis, the injustice that he suffered as he was sold into to slavery by his brothers. did work out well. He became uh, the right-hand man of Potiphar. But then he was um, falsely accused of molesting Potiphar's wife and put in prison. How do you think he, he felt waiting for God to release him? Then there was that moment of hope when the, the, the baker and the, uh, the cupbearer were put in prison with them and they, they had those dreams and, and Joseph interpreted them for them. And this is what he said to the cupbearer before he was released from prison. He says, when all goes well with you, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I want to get out of here. Put in a word for me. And yet, how does the chapter end, remember? It says, the chief cupbearer, however did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And for two more years, Joseph languishes in prison, not knowing if he will ever get out of there. Why is it so hard to be patient? Because we're not in control, because we we can't see the future. We are dependent on, on somebody else. And it's particularly hard when we know there is someone else there who could help us, but he doesn't. We know God can answer our prayers. We know God can relieve us from our our pain and our suffering. But he doesn't at times. So why doesn't he? What is the point of it all? Well, go back to James again, those verses at the beginning there, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The word for patience here in Romans 12 is the same word in Greek that is translated here, perseverance. The reason God brings trials our way is to cultivate perseverance in us. Because as we said earlier, perseverance is a Christ-like quality. It's part of making us more like Christ. And unless we experience suffering in our life, we will never cultivate perseverance, will we? Unless we stick it out, we will never attain perseverance. You can't attain perseverance by quitting early. Most of us will say here, if we are Christians, that yes, of course we want to become like Christ. But are we prepared to put up with the pain that is necessary for that to happen? Or if we do have to suffer, well, just keep it short, keep it to, to a minimum. Let's pray that it'll get over quickly and we can get back to living our lives the way that we were before and get back to serving God. Surely it's better if we're more useful to him than sitting here not being able to do anything. The Bible says Christ-like character is more important than our service to God. And sometimes God will prevent us being able to serve him simply because he he wants us to spend more time focusing on him, on knowing him, on becoming like him. 
What situations do we need that perseverance? Well, illness is an obvious one, isn't it, which many people here will have suffered from. To remain patient in illness is to not allow that illness to affect your relationship with God. To avoid bitterness, to avoid self-pity, and to accept that this is your life for as long as God decides that it should be. And that is a, a really hard thing to do, isn't it? Injustice is another one, you know, where we are treated unfairly. Again, who is the one who suffered the greatest injustice? Is it not Jesus Christ, the one who was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he didn't open his mouth? Now it sounds as we try and encourage each other to be patient in affliction, that this is somehow all down to us. We just need to work harder and persevere harder. But ultimately it's not about us trying harder. It's about us calling out to God. Which brings us on to our third command here, be faithful in prayer. Christians are those who have called out to God. They are those who have accepted their need for him, who have asked for his help, And God, in his mercy, has answered them. God wants us to call out to him. I read from Zechariah earlier on as we started this service. These are the words uh, that we read there. God says, I will refine them like silver, test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Another reason why we can rejoice in reflection is because it makes us call out to God more. It makes us more dependent on him. And interestingly enough, the, the phrase translated be faithful here is actually the same word as in the previous phrase. It is persevere. Persevere in prayer. Which sounds a bit of a funny thing, isn't it? Persevere in prayer. Why do we need an encouragement to persevere in prayer? Surely if we're going through tough times, we're going to be praying. We're going to be calling out to God. Well, the answer is that many times, as I'm sure many of us will have experienced, just when we need God most, he may appear silent to us. We call out and we we don't feel that he's there. He's not answering our prayers. I don't know whether you saw some of the um, Paralympic events involving those with with, uh, blindness, partial vision. One of those that's amazing was the, the relay race. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a stadium of 80,000 people who've been told to be silent so that they can pass on the baton in the relay race. Imagine what it must feel like to, to run around knowing there are all these people there and yet it's silent. And sometimes affliction is like that. You are conscious of, of God there. His presence is there and yet he's silent. Why are we called to persevere in prayer? Because there are times when it feels like it's not working. That we're calling out and he just doesn't answer. Think about how Joseph felt in that prison, calling out to God. When are you going to release me from this prison, God? And yet, there was no answer. Think how Job felt after he lost everything, calling out to God. Explain this. What is going on here, God? What did I do wrong? Well, the reason why Be faithful in prayer is probably actually a better translation than persevere is because 
persevere in prayer almost gives the impression, don't give up praying until God gives you what you want. You know, if you nag him enough, then he'll give in. A bit like uh, the children's approach to uh, getting what they want out of their parents. If you nag them enough, they'll just uh, say, oh, go on then. Be faithful in prayer actually gives a better sense of what this prayer is about. When we're suffering, if we're honest, most of our praying is about, please God, end this suffering. Take away my illness. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus healed many people of their illnesses. The Holy Spirit gives the gift of healing. Illness and disease was not part of the world which God created. God doesn't like illness. But if we're only focused on God taking away our suffering, then we won't be able to rejoice until that suffering is taken away. Because only then will we have have considered our prayer to have been answered. But if we see that process of suffering as somehow beneficial to us, as refining us, making us more like Christ, then we'll be praying in a different way. Look back at James again. Verse 5. This gives us an idea of something else we should be praying for here. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. What we need often is wisdom. We want the mind of God. It's helping us to see our affliction through the eyes of God. Helping us to see what he is trying to achieve through this. And above all, helping us to trust in God's plans and God's timing. Helping us to get through the trials, however long they may last. And helping us to trust in him if the outcome is different from that which we want. What was God's response to Job after Job had been questioning God's plans for so long? He says, Who is this who obscures my counsel without knowledge? Or in other words, who is this who thinks he knows better than me, what is best for him. And so Job confesses at the end of uh, the book of Job, he says, Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. He says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And we're told that God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. But it wasn't that Job then realised, Well, now I see why you allowed that to happen to me. Job's realisation was that God's plans were just too wonderful for him to understand. And he shouldn't therefore question them, he should just trust in God. And it was only after he confessed his doubts to God that God blessed him. And that's why James says here, when he asks, when the believer asks, he must believe and not doubt. And to be faithful in prayer is to ask God that he will help us to not stop trusting him to not be filled with doubts, to not lose our hope and our faith. Which means that we won't stop praying because we feel it's not working or because we're, we're, we're angry at God or because we think he no longer cares for us. We will be patient. We'll be faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction.
be faithful in prayer. This verse is important for us to grasp whether we may be in in difficult current situations, but also if things are going well. If things are going well for you now, that can be a dangerous position for you to be in. Because if your hope is in your earthly situation, not in Jesus and your, your maturity in him, it may mean that uh, your focus is not in the right place. If you cannot focus on Jesus in the good times, you'll find it hard to persevere in the hard times. And if you are in affliction right now, if you are struggling with your faith, if you're doubting that God will allow anything like this to happen to you, then read through the book of Job. Read through the story of Joseph. And learn from their experience of not having to find the answer. Not having to have their suffering relieved immediately. But accepting God's wisdom and God's love. And remember those words of Jesus. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So the moment of of quiet to... uh, Reflect on what God has said to us and how that applies to to us individually. And then I'll pray. Lord, we may be going through afflictions right now. Or we may be worried about what is around the corner. And it uh, can be very hard, as you know full well yourself. You know what uh, we are going through and experiencing and may experience in the future. And Lord, we do pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would enable us to be joyful in hope, to not focus on the present but on the future to be focusing on our maturity in Christ. Help us to be patient, to trust in you and your timing, in your wisdom, your goodness. And help us to be faithful in prayer, to never give up praying, to never give up praying that your will would be done. In Jesus' name. Amen.